Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name's Russell. I'm an alcoholic. Good evening, and uh, it's a, a privilege and a pleasure to be here. I get to drive up here from Miami, and uh, uh, now we have a good time, myself and Keith. Uh, we're on the sixth step, and the sixth and the seventh step are two of my favorite steps, and uh, maybe I'll get into that. They call them old-timer steps. So I haven't found necessary. Did I say I was Russell? I was an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm 65. I forget it. I, open, I go. I go to the kitchen. Open up the refrigerator. I say, "What am I doing here?" You know. <laughs> I know I came here for something. You know. I can't remember what. You know. And uh, so that's the deal. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what this means to me now. I, I, I haven't had enough to have a drink since January 25th, 1981. So got a little over 33 years sobriety and. Uh, and the only way I know how to share is to share from where I'm at at 33 years sobriety. I can't share like I have three months. And I'm not in any way deprecating that, but I can't share like I have 10 years. I share, I'm going to share like I have 33. And, uh, I'm going to share the sobriety I have now. And, uh, and, uh, which is to say I don't sit around and worry about, well, if I say this, it'll offend this part. If I say this, It'll offend this part. If I say this, it'll offend this person. If I say this, this, this is going to cause some controversy. Um, you know, the Lord has given me certain things to say that I have on my heart that I want to talk to you about. I'm not going to worry about, uh, whether it offends somebody or doesn't offend somebody, whatever it is. You know, there's, there's hopefully somebody here will profit from it. You know, if you get offended, just remember, um, whenever you're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with you. And then, uh, you'll work on that, you'll fix it. And just remember another thing that uh, an old pastor once told me, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yells the loudest is the one that gets hit. So. <laughs> you need to hang around with old pastors. They tell you a lot of good stuff. You know, as iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man. Has a lot to do with who you hang out with. So I want to talk about a few things that, you know, it's like everything else when I do these things, it's... Uh, it's like seems disjointed, like it doesn't fit, but they, it, it, it fits somehow. You just have to put it together. I'm not going to put it together for you. Uh, before I got up here, I was with uh, uh, a couple of guys eating, and Scott, uh, Scott's there somewhere. He says, "Do you ever get nervous when you when you talk?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, I really don't." And I said, "He said, well, why is that?" And uh, and I said, "Well, you know, you ever?" Uh, and, and Scott comes from Rochester, and I said, "You know, down in in Florida where I got sober." Uh, we had this, this saying, and the saying was, when we were talking about the third step, uh, the saying was, uh, I turned it over. Anybody ever heard that? I turned it over. You know what I mean? And now, if you're not an AA, you know, if you're a civilian on the outside, so it says, I turned it over, they don't know what you're talking about. But if you're an AA for a while, and somebody says, well, I, you know, how's your mother? Well, I turned him over. I turned that over. You know what it means. And, and what that would mean, what it means like to a person who has like a month or two or five, what it means is you have something that's bothering you in your life. It's, it's, it's part of our new way of living where we trust and rely upon God. It's part of learning how to rely upon God instead of relying on ourselves, our powerless selves. Instead of hanging on to something and trying to figure out what you're going to do and what you do, it's part of living the fruitful, peaceful life, learning how to turn it over. And like anything else, since it's counterintuitive, it takes time to learn how to do it. So what happens is something like this. Your boss looks at you funny. And you know what he's thinking because being an alcoholic, you know what everybody's thinking. It's bad shit about you and other people, you know. And and you start worrying about your job. And it's just driving you crazy and you don't know what to do. And, and what are you going to do and how are you going to get another job? And, you know, it took you so long to get this job. And, you know, he looked at you funny because... Now, he probably looked at you funny because he has indigestion, but you know it's because of, you know, uh, the way you looked at him or something you did or he didn't like your report, whatever the heck it is, okay? And it's just driving you crazy, and no matter how many people you talk to, 
you know, you can't get rid of it. You can't even go to sleep at night. You know what I mean? It's driving you nuts. You go to meetings and you talk to, you know what I mean? You say, you know, this happened with my boss and I don't know what to do with my boss. And, you know, you don't, you, you think you'll get some relief. You don't get any relief. You go to the next meeting. My boss, my boss. You're talking to your sponsor about the boss. You're driving me crazy about the boss. People are saying to you, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you get on your knees? Why don't you turn it over? You got to go through your week long of agony, right? Your alcoholic agony. Now, if you were, if you were not in the program, well, hell, you'd just drink over it. You would just drink over it and say, who gives a crap? I don't give a crap what he thinks about me, you know, until you sober up and then you start thinking about it again. You know what I mean? But in alcoholics, what you do is you go to a lot of meetings, you run around like a chicken with a head chopped off, and then finally, after a week or two or three of going through the, you know, like your life is over, you might as well kill yourself, what's the use? Why am I in AA anyway? This thing doesn't work, you know, and, you know, horribleness. You finally, somehow, some way, you don't even know how it happens, you sort of pray about it, and you sort of, and you, 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 you say, God, I, I, I can't do this anymore, you know, I'm gonna let you have it. Whatever, if he fires me, he fires me, but you know something, I'm gonna let you have it, and what you do is you turn it over. Right? You turn it over. And then it doesn't bother you anymore. You don't even think about it. And somebody comes up to you and he says, here's what they say. They say, well, what's going on with that boss thing? And he says, ah, I turned it over. <laughs> they say, well, you're going to kill yourself last year. He says, yeah, but I turned it over. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's great. It's just the two weeks leading, it's the two weeks leading up to turning it over is like shit. You know what I'm talking about? But once you turn it over, there's no problem whatsoever. So what happens is for the first 10 years of your life, when you get into that serenity prayer, you know, the serenity to accept the things, courage to change, all that stuff, and you go through all the, the prayers and the meditation, everything that happens today and the talking, you become sort of hopefully adept at turning stuff over. So the next time something like that happens, it doesn't take you two weeks. It takes you a week. Well, you go through a week of, you know, that crap, you know. And, uh, and then what happens is, you know, you get about, you know, six or seven years, and now it may take you like a day to turn something over. You know what I mean? Something happens, it sort of bothers you, but you know, by the time the day's over, you've turned it over. And then you got about 20 years, and you're, you're, you're doing a lot more stuff, you're going to a lot more meetings, you're sponsoring people, maybe you're going to church, maybe you're going to buy, you're doing different stuff, and now, you know, it's taking you maybe like an hour. Something happens, you turn, within an hour, you're turning stuff over. And, and I'm not saying anybody does this perfectly, but you know, as time goes on, you get more adept, it becomes a way of life, of trusting, relying upon God, and then there comes a point in time where you just, uh, it's turn, it's all turned over. It's, tur it's turned over before it even happens. It's already been turned over. You know what I mean? You don't have to think about turning over because it's been turned over. Because you're praying in the morning, you're praying at night, you're praying during the day. God has become the central factor of your life and you're living a turned over life. You understand? So what happens is, you know, when you go to speak to a group of, you know, a couple hundred people, or 300, 400 people, what happens is, what happens is you realize you're not even doing the speaking because it's all, all, it's already been turned over. You understand? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as if, I'm not even here. He's sort of like borrowing my body. You know what I mean? He said, you know, the only thing the Lord wants, he just wants me to get out. He says, would you do me a favor? Get out of my way. Just get out of my way, you know? And so whatever's going to come out is going to come out, and you know whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and that's the way it's going to be. And that's that 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 has lots to do with almost every step, that third step deal, and how to live up, you know, the the promises type of life that we're going to talk about, because all these steps lead to that incredible life that you're going to live, that transformational life, the joy of living. But the stuff we're going to talk about in the sixth step, which is so important. And it's such a major thing. It's such a major thing. The sixth step is such a major deal. Because it is the step that separates the men from the boys. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just me. It is the step that separates the men from the boys. Which means there are men in AA and there are boys. A lot more boys than men. It is the step that separates the men from the boys. It's a step that separates the dilettantes from the people that are really serious. It's the step that separates the amateurs from the professionals. It's the guy, it separates the guys that go out and hack on the golf course from the Tiger Woods. You know, it's the guys, it's a step that separates the people that are, you know, sort of doing sports from the Olympians. You know, there's not a whole lot of Olympians, gold medal winners, you know. There's very few of those guys. There are very few professional athletes. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? That's the step we're talking about right here. 
And you know, that's why I love this step. Because this is a step where, where when the shit hits the fan, when you get down to the deal, you get serious. This is where stuff gets serious. And at 65 years of age, after being married for 33 years, and having, you know, six grandkids and four kids, and sponsoring a lot of guys, the one thing I want to be is not frivolous, I want to be serious. And you know, listen, I have a sense of humor, we'll chuckle a little, everything like that, but I want to be, this is a serious deal. You know, I'm not, it's not, it's not uh, it, it, I take it seriously, it's serious for you, it's serious for me, and so now we're going to get down to the real deal. And because of that, that's one of the reasons why people, some people in AA might get offended at this, this thing. Just the, for the same reason they get offended at church. Or the same reason they get offended by any system or anything where instead of doing la-di-da, people get serious at them. You know, alcoholics don't like when you get serious with them, you know? Stop acting. The alcoholics don't like when you tell them, stop acting like a child. I don't want to hear that bullshit. Alcoholics want to act like children. They want to have, they don't want to grow up. They don't want to have responsibility. They want to be 80 years old and chasing skirts, you know? They don't, they don't want you making them feel guilty about anything they do. They want to act like a two-year-old when they're 52 years old or 42 years old. They don't want you in any way criticizing them for acting immaturely. Alcoholics want to have a license to not grow up and take responsibility. So that's why when you're talking about the sixth step, especially when you're sponsoring somebody, they get offended. That's why alcoholics get offended because, you know, they're, they're, they take things personal and they're sensitive. Well, they're touchy, you know. <laughs> you know, I could not stop drinking. Well, well let me read this first. I, this out of the way. I sort of like this deal. I, I read it from time to time. I don't know why I feel I want to read it, but I feel it has something to do with what we're talking about, because it does have to do with God and what he can do for you and your transformation. It's called the old by... Listen, uh, I, I think that if this is an AA meeting, that there's probably people in here who came here because they couldn't stop drinking at some point. You know, that's why I came. The old violin. T'was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth, it, worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who's thought the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, now two, only two. Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, and three dollars twice. Going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin, and tightening up all the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. One thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, and three thousand twice. And going in God, said he. The people cheered. But some of them cried, we do not quite understand what changed its worth. The man replied, it was the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with his life out of tune and battered and torn with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of the soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Now, I uh, was 31 years old when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm 65 now. And uh, I could not stop drinking. You know, they told me, they would come up to me, they'd say, uh, you, need, you need to stop drinking. You got to stop drinking. I couldn't stop drinking. Uh, people come up to me and says, you know, you're killing yourself. You're going to kill yourself. I couldn't stop drinking. People come up, up to me and ask me, why do you drink the way you do? I said, I don't know. I couldn't stop drinking. They would tell me, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. I couldn't stop drinking. I would tell myself, listen to me, I would tell myself, I got to stop drinking. I couldn't stop drinking. I would wake up in the morning and tell myself, I'd say, I'm not going to drink today. And I meant it. And then by five o'clock, I'd be drunk. I tell myself, I'm not going to go to bar today. And I meant it. By 5 o'clock, I was in the bar or buying booze. I could not stop 
drinking. No matter what I did, I couldn't stop drinking. Finally, I gave up. I was 31 years old. I thought my life was over. It was never going to get better again. I lost everything. I lost my self-respect and self-esteem. My life was over. I died one night in December of 1980. It was December 25th of 1980. I died. I must have died. And I was all by myself, all alone, because if you're an alcoholic, you know what it is to be all alone. But when I say all alone, I don't mean all alone in your car. I don't mean even all alone in your apartment. I mean, I mean 10 million light years away, floating by Alpha Centauri in the middle of space, and no human being can touch you. Or even know where, I mean, I'm talking about somewhere out there in the galaxy, alone. Anybody ever see that picture of gravity? Like that gallon gravity, you know? Ain't nobody around. Just you and outer space. And I was alone. And it was three o'clock in the morning. And uh, a preacher came on the TV for three o'clock Christmas morning, and he was preaching. And I don't remember what he was saying, but it had something to do with being having your life changed. How God could change your life. You know, I think of preachers that are on at three o'clock in the morning, they probably know they're preaching to alcoholics. They probably know they're preaching to people that aren't in such good a shape, you know. And know a little bit about preachers now. I know they're out to win souls and stuff like that. Well, you know something? At that moment in time, they say when the pupil's ready, the teacher will appear. You've got to be ready to receive the message. The message is all around you. I'm giving you a message tonight. It's all around you. Whether you're ready to receive it or not has nothing to do with me. And I want to tell you something. At 3 o'clock in the morning, on December 25th, 1980, I was ready to receive that message. I got on my knees. I gave my life to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying you got to do it. You know, this isn't a church. We're not alive with anything. I mean, I'm alive, but A is not alive. You know, but that's what happened to me. I mean, that's just the facts. You're entitled to your opinion. You're just not entitled to your own facts. That's factually what happened to me. Now, there's a point here, okay? And we all come to maybe God differently and the way we do it differently. The point is, I got on my knees. I did that deal. That's what I did, which is, you know, maybe not a big thing for a lot of people, but trust me, for a Jewish kid from New York, it's a major deal from Greenland, New York. <laughs> you got to be desperate, or something's got to be going on, okay? I didn't stop drinking. I really didn't. 20, 30 days later, one, exactly one month later, on January 25th, 1981, I had my last drink, never had a drink before. Now, here's an interesting thought I want to point out to you. Had I gotten on my knees and given my life to God and everything like that, and all of a sudden everything changed, 15 rabbis and a priest came down, we got an A meeting over here, you know, have a Dunkin' Donut, you know, everything like that, I never had, you know, that would have been, you know, hey, you know, but, you know, that would have been clear to me. But, you know, what happened, there was, I got down on my knees and I did that deal, and 30 days later, all of a sudden, I stopped drinking forever up to this point. I had my last drink. You know, one of the things that I've learned about God, and, and if you center your life upon God and you focus upon God, and that's what the steps are about playing close to God, that you learn about God is, is when you're powerless, when you have no power, and you can't force things, your, your emotions can't force things, your will can't force things, even though you say, I really mean it this time, I swear on a stack of Bibles, it doesn't force things, I swear on my mother's life, doesn't force things, you know, my word is my bond. When you are powerless, and he has all power, he does not operate on your schedule. He does not operate on your schedule. God doesn't operate in my life on my schedule. He doesn't lift things from my life because I've decided that today's the day it's going to happen. He operates on whatever schedule he chooses to operate on. And and the interesting thing is, because he operates that way, you know, he's sort of like it's for him it's sort of like an anonymous program. You know? It's you know, it says there's no coincidence when you talk about God, there's God instances. What happens is sometimes things happen. And you can't even connect them to anything. But the truth of the matter is, is I got on my knees because I wanted to change life. And I gave my life to God. And I turned it over without even knowing what I was doing, except I was desperate. And the truth of the matter is, is 30 days later, something that I, my drinking, which I couldn't stop drinking forever, all of a sudden was lifted and I never had a drink again.
And the only thing that had happened to me in that 30 days that was different than anything else I did before was my getting on my knees that night. So even though 30 days had passed, I now see, looking back, that there was a direct correlation between something that happened to me, something happened when I got on my knees, it was a change of attitude, something happened to me, whether the system was like rebooted, you know, I tend to think of it sometimes now in terms of, you know, computer programming, like a new operating system where, you know, what happens, you know, when you got a computer and you want to fix it, you just return it off and turn it on again. Whether I was rebooted or whatever happened, I was rebooted that night and 30 days later, all of a sudden, I, I, I had my last drink. Now, my sponsor, the guy who ended up being my first sponsor, Bob Sullivan, came to see me in the hospital. And he said something to me. Uh, you know, it's interesting the way this thing works. Uh, things happen in your life. You, you may remember them, you may not remember them, some of them stand out. Sometimes you only get what's really going on or you see it differently in perspective looking back. You know, the way, and the seventh step says the way we get a new perspective by a hundred forms of, of humiliation, the final crushing of our self-sufficiency. Sometimes when you've been crushed over a period of 33 years, you look back on something that happens, you see it differently than you saw it at the time it was happening. You may see something that happened to you that you thought was bad, and all of a sudden you realize it's the best thing that ever happened to you. You just look at it differently. And my sponsor came up to me, and he said two things to me that I'll never forget. Now, now think about this. And I know we all have this. I think every person in here has this deal going on. If I sit down and talk to you. This happened to me 30, over 33 years ago. I had my first conversation with the man who was to become my sponsor. And I don't remember anything that, ha I don't remember anything that preacher said. You know, I don't remember anything that was said up until I, you know, he had this conversation with me while lying, I was lying in a hospital bed. No reason to be alert or anything, you know, just coming off the drinking thing. And he said two things to me that I'll never forget. I haven't forgotten to this point. It's as clear to me today exactly what he said to me, the exact words he said that day. They hit me that day. I remembered them, and I've remembered them for 33 years. Now, how does that happen? How does it happen? And it changed my life. Because when the pupil's ready, the teacher appears. And he said two words to me, and these two lines, can you imagine that? You go to a psychiatrist for 20 years, you can spend thousands of dollars, you can take all sorts of pills, all sorts of medication, you can go to a million AA meetings, you know, talk to a gazillion people to try to figure out who am I, what am I, and everything like that. Imagine that. Some guy shows up in your hospital room, a used car salesman doesn't even graduate the sixth grade. He says two things to you. It changes your life forever and you never forget it. Now how does that work? How, how, what's that deal all about? Does that have anything to do with intelligence? What does that have to do with it? It's a God thing. And I can't explain that, but that's what it is. And this is what he said to me. And I've sort of thought about it a lot since then. What was it about those two things he said? Maybe it had nothing to do with the two things he said or how he said it. Maybe it was just God had transformed. Maybe it was just that when I got on my knees, you know, and asked God to help me and turn my life over, and maybe my start, heart started getting tender where I could start listening to people. Maybe I heard something for the first time. When everybody was telling me something, maybe all of a sudden, maybe that was the answer. Maybe it's a combination of things, but this is what he said to me. He didn't say, you need to stop drinking. He didn't say, do you realize you're killing yourself? He didn't say, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you stop drinking? Let me tell you exactly what he said to me. He said, he looked me in the eye and he said this. He says, Russell, he says, you never have to drink anymore. Another drink if you don't want to. You hear that? And then he said the next thing. You never have to feel the way you feel right now if you don't want to. And listen to me, I didn't ever want to drink again, or I didn't want to drink, and I never wanted to feel the way I felt. And you know, now, now I think about the way he said that, and how he said that, who gave him those words to say that deal, you know what I'm talking about? 
And there's a couple things that come to mind with that. And, and the two things that come to mind is this. You know, when you're an alcoholic, you know, Dr. Tom Emger wrote a book saying alcoholics in the 1930s, he said, man against himself. In the chapter on alcoholism, it says alcoholics are men and women who are out to destroy themselves. That deep down inside, the truth of the matter is we're all, we, we all think we're worthless. You know, we're all always worried about what other people think about us. We're all, we're, we're all so prone to peer pressure and worrying about whether people will laugh at us. We all go along with the crowd. We all like to say things like, I don't give a crap what people think about us, and all, all we do is think about what other people think about us. We all worry about how we're going to look, whether people are going to look, you know, all that sort of crap. We're, we're, we are just slaves to society. I mean, you know, we just look at billboards, and we look at movie stars, and we look at movies, and we look at this, and we look at that to try to figure out what to be and who to be and what to happen, even though we feel crappy. And then we turn around saying, why did he say that? We're all second-guessing ourselves. Alcoholics, we just hate, we just hate, hate ourselves. You know what I mean? And we are all sensitive. And anything that's said to us, we examine 18 ways from Sundays. Why did he say that? And what does it mean? Because of course we realize that people think we're a piece of shit because who knows what pieces of shit better, who knows better what pieces of crap we are than we do. You know what I mean? So we sort of like assume that somehow they, they, they basically feel that's the way. And we start off from that deal. That's the deal where the voices come from. When you're three, four, five, six, ten years sober, when you're three weeks sober, and you're not drinking, and you're in the shower, and all of a sudden that voice tells you you're a piece of shit and you ought to die, you know, when that shit happens, and you turn around and say, who's, see who's telling you that crap, and you're the only one in the shower, you know what I mean? That's where that voice is coming from. It's coming from, don't, don't make believe that voice isn't there. Don't make, that voice ain't coming from Saturn, you know what I mean? That's inside you. That's your reputation with you about you. That's what you really think about you. And you know, even when you're not thinking about that consciously, that voice is playing like music in the background. That's what stops you from raising your hand or volunteering or going forth or even going, doing things like Bible studies because you're worried about what will so-and-so think about me. That's what, that's that, that whole deal with you. That whole operating system. Which, which everything you do your entire life is looking at other people to see whether or not they'll approve of you. That's what makes you the approval junkie you are. That's why, that's why you're sitting there, please love me. You know, that's why you do so badly in relationships. And that's why you're so needy. And that's, all that stuff pans from that deal. And you know, one of the things that happens is I was sitting there and I had that deal going on. And I don't even know I have that deal going on. First of all, alcoholics lie to themselves. They tell themselves they're the greatest because when you're a piece of crap, you need some fan club, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you need somebody telling you you're great, and who knows, you know, I, I can't find anybody else who's telling me I'm great, you know, unless I can take a prisoner of some gal or something. They're always good. Just find a gal, take a prisoner. So I, if I if I can get one gal who's nice looking to tell me that she adores me and I'm the greatest, I, I can be so destructive, you can't even imagine. <laughs> I just need one of those gals, and man, there are some real sick ones out there, you know what I mean? <laughs> Believe me, you got your Ava Bronze out there, you know, they're gonna stand by your side, you know, you can kill 15 people, they're still gonna tell you I love you the best, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, just give me one, just, you know, and if I can't find that gal, I'll just tell myself how great I am, and they just don't understand, you know? So, the, so we don't even realize we got this problem. Well, one of the things that happens is when my sponsor said to me, when he said to me, you know, you never have to drink anymore if you don't want to, it was, he wasn't accusing me, he wasn't putting me down, there was, there was some sort of love involved. There was, there was, he was, he was saying that to me, he was giving me respect. He was telling me, you don't have to do this, Russell, you don't want to, he was respect, he wasn't disrespecting me. And there's other, another thing about that sentence that's very important. And the other thing about that sentence is this. When you say to somebody like me, who's been trying to stop drinking, you don't have to drink anymore if you don't want to, and you don't have to feel this way anymore if you don't want to, you automatically, you automatically embed something in my mind. And you know what that something is? The desire to say, how can I do that? You know, it evokes a question. When a guy says, now when a guy says, you better stop drinking, I want to say, go screw yourself. That's what happened. You better stop drinking, go screw yourself. If somebody says, why are you doing this? Well, you don't understand. But when somebody says, you never have to drink anymore, if you don't want to, I'm going to look at him and say, how? 
How do you do that? Because I don't want to. Do, I don't want to drink anymore. And for the next three months, six months, ten years, my sponsor and sponsors taught me how not to drink one day at a time. And you know what they told me? I'll give you the answer. They told me how to rely on God. How's that for an age? They told me I was powerless and I had to base my entire life on behind God. I had to sincerely base everything on Him. And He would give me everything I need if I stay close to Him and perform His work well. Now, they told it to me many different ways. They showed it to me many different ways. They, they used many different statements, then many different phrases. I had to go through many, many different situations. But every situation I had, they always pointed towards God. It may have been through prayer, but it was always obvious it had something to do with God. Whether it was saying the serenity prayer, whatever it was, it was always about God, God. And when they said do the steps, the steps were always pointing towards God. It was always about God. And you want to know what happened? Ready, you ready for this? And this is the true story. I started basing my life on God, and guess what? I haven't found this to have a drink in 33 years. It worked. It worked. Now, I can actually point to evidence as far as my drinking, which is really a symptom of the disease, evidence that that God thing, the God idea, worked. Because I haven't had a drink since December 25th, 1981. I mean, January 25th, 1981. You with me? Now, here's because it works. That deal works because I'm powerless and God can remove that. Okay, but now listen, here's the deal. Here's what you got to understand. I got another problem. My other problem is something called alcoholism. It's a little different than the drinking thing. Okay? It's the real problem. It's the, it's the problem that causes the drinking. It has to do with selfishness. It has to do with self-centeredness. It has to do with being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. I step on the toes of others. I get angry. You know, I ruin relationships. I'm self-willed. When right, I'm willful, though I usually don't think so. Above everything, I must get rid of this, out, out, this selfishness or it will kill me. You know how it kills me? It kills me through what they say in the book. It kills me through defects of character. It kills me through, through sin. That's what the book calls it, sin, missing the mark. It's defects of character. That's what the 12, 12 and 12 calls it, sin. As a matter of fact, they have a name for it, they call it pagans. That's the symptoms, the real symptoms, and we're after you get rid of the booze. I say the word pagans because it stands for the seven deadly sins. Pride, or really I should say false pride. Puffing yourself up bigger than you are. You're thinking you're bigger than you are. Thinking you're lording over people. Thinking how great you are, which you really on the other flip side is how... How, you know, what's that, the egomaniac with the inferiority complex? Anger. Gluttony. You can see I'm not doing too well on that one. <laughs> Greed. Lust. Envy. And sloth. Or laziness. That's the paggles. You know what I mean? And you know something? Those are, now you see those deals, which are the real deals that run me and run alcoholism and show up you ain't drinking anymore, but you're priding, you're angering, you're gluttoning, you're greeting, you're lusting, you're envying, you're slothing all over the place. But you see, our alcohol life seems the only normal one. And let me tell you something. When you're greedy, when you're prideful, when you're angry, when you're gluttonous, when you're lustful, when you're envious, when you're slothful, listen to me, you ready for this? This is a logical thing. It actually has consequences in your life and your relationships. You know, as a matter of fact, when you think about it, when you think about all the problems you've ever been through in your life and the things you've complained about, it has to do with some of that stuff. Now, here's the deal. According to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and according to what I've happened in my life, you ready? God can take care of that stuff just like he took care of the, alcohol, the drinking. He can do that. You know, the only problem is, let me just tell you the problem with my life. It's not a problem. It's a good thing, actually. It works. It works. It absolutely works. Your life gets better. He removes that stuff. And that's what the sixth step is all about. It's about, it's about going further. Going further. You know, the problem is, he removed alcohol from my life 100%. I can sit here and I can say to you, 100%, I haven't had a drink of alcohol 
in over 33 years since January 25th, 1981. I can say that 100%. I can't say that about pride. I can't say that about anger. I can't say that about gluttony. I can't say that about greed. I can't say that about lust. I can't say that about envy. I can't say that about sloth. But I'll tell you what I can say about that. I can tell you this. He's removed these things, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, temporarily, some more permanently, some better, you know, over a period of time, more and more. It's not that you become sinless, but you sin less. You get involved in that stuff less. And as you get involved in that stuff less, you're not drinking anymore. You're not priding anymore. You're not angering anymore. You're not resenting anymore. You're not greedy and grabbing anymore. You're thinking of other people. You know, you're not doing that stuff. You know, the stuff you do with the lust. Yeah, all that stuff. When that starts happening, your life gets incredibly better. And I'll tell you something else. Your thought life about yourself, those voices start going away. Because, you know, when you start doing that stuff, that's your conscience. You know, when you're constitutionally capable of being honest with yourself, you know what's telling you? When you start messing up with people and screwing up with yourself, that's you telling you you're an asshole. You know what I mean? You, you just try to get rid of that deal. Try to think that away. Try When you start messing up with the pride and the anger and the gluttony, and you know you're doing it, and you know deep down inside you're doing it, no matter how much makeup you put on, no matter what you're telling other people, you know what a rat think you are, you try to explain to yourself not to think of yourself as a piece of crap. You try to do that deal, and you know it can't be done. That's what keeps you up at night. But you see, you're just as, I'm just as powerless over pride and powerless over anger and powerless over gluttony and greed and lust and envy and sloth as I am over scotch. And until I realize I, the first thing, what's the first step in getting out of jail? You gotta know you're in jail in the first place. The first place in getting rid of alcoholism, the drinking, is you gotta know you got a drinking problem. The first thing in getting rid of pride and anger and gluttony and greed is you gotta know you got that, and envy and lust and sloth is you gotta know you got that problem. And then you get to work on it for, you know, 20 or 30 years. <laughs> you might have to go to 500 meetings to get rid of, and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're not that angry anymore. You know what I mean? When you understand that, then all of a sudden the sixth step becomes a little more understandable. This is, well, let me just read a couple of things. And then it says here, this is from How It Works, page 63. When we sincere, this is right after... I get rid of selfishness, because the base of this is all selfishness and self-centeredness. Think about ourselves all the time. That's how the paddles spring up. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Now, established on this footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, we appropriate that power. We stand close to him, he gives us the power. As we felt new power flow in, and as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, we became conscious of his presence. You become God conscious. That's what he told about the 11th step. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, the year after we were reborn. That's our program of recovery. Then later on, when we finally get to the sixth step, listen, you got so many people. I'm telling you, it's just the truth. It's just, I'm just telling you God's honest truth. Most people think there's a program about not drinking. You go up to some guy with five or ten years, you know, and you start trying to talk to him about the paddles, you know, he gets his back up, he says, hey, stay off my back. I haven't had, I haven't had a drink in five years. I mean, you know, you want to stop on somebody in their track? You want to stop somebody in their tracks so they don't bother you anymore? You want to stop a sponsor in his track so he doesn't bother you anymore? Just look at me and say, hey, listen, I haven't had a drink in 10 years. I ain't drinking. I don't even want to drink. Because isn't that what A is about? You know, that's what A says it's about. It's all about the drink. Don't drink if your ass falls off. You can kill anybody. You can do whatever you want to do. You can think, just don't drink. You know, isn't that what they hand out the chips for? Here's Ralph, he just killed 15 kids and uh, blew up a house, 
but he hasn't had a drink in 15 years. Come on down, give him a hand, you know. It's all about not drinking, right? It's not about not lusting. It's not about being on your 17th wife or, you know, or cheating, cheating on your wife. It's not about, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's not about stealing or anything like that. It's all about not drinking. And, and you know, let me tell you something. There's a, there's a predilection in Alcoholics Anonymous to think that that's the golden, that's, that's the grail. You know, that's the, that's the main thing. Because it is. Because without the not drinking, which is the most important thing, it's more important than anything else. But those that get to the sixth step and beyond the sixth step understand that if you want permanent sobriety and you want the next frontier, which is emotional sobriety, as Bill Wilson said, the real problem was unhealthy dependencies. If you really want to go on, they realize that there's grade school, there's high school, and then there's graduate school. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Time does count. And really, the most sober guy in here is not the one who woke up the earliest. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. It's not true. Working on yourself emotionally, working on yourself and your, and your spiritual self and going further with that counts. I'm sorry if that was not important, if that's not part of the program recovery, if this wasn't more than not drinking, you're going to have to explain to me why they wrote 12 steps and they wrote a big book on the 12 and 12 essentially aimed on anything but the drinking. I don't know how to explain this to you, but this book is not written for drinkers. I, I don't know how to explain this to you, but Alcoholics Anonymous is made up of millions of people, you ready for this, that don't drink. That go to meetings for 20, 30 years, and drinking is not, and drinking is not a problem for most people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Lust, envy, sloth, greed, you know, all that stuff, pride, anger, those are problems that they deal with. That's what A means are all about. That's what these steps are all about. Not drinking. Not drugging. Drinking and drugging is what you do when you don't work on those other problems. And that's why it says here, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, all this other stuff. This is the step that separates the man from the boy, so declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of A's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations, whatever, has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his creator. His creator. Perfect. Perfect. That's the deal. And then it goes on, and, and I'm just going to skip to one other part here, and then we'll sort of close up. So we're running out of time. It says, some people, of course, may conclude that they are indeed ready to have all such defects taken from them. You're ready to be perfect. I know, I remember I got down on my knees at one time. I was saying the six-step prayer, and I said, I'm now ready. And I was ready. I was ready. I said, God, remove them all. And I was ready for like a nanosecond. You know what I mean? <laughs> for a nanosecond, I was ready. Then I got up and I screamed at somebody, okay? But whatever. Hey, it's not like the drink. But even these people, if they construct a list of still milder defects, will be obliged to admit that they prefer to hang on to some of them. They prefer to hang on to some of them. That's why people sometimes even get mad when they talk, when I talk about some of the stuff I talk about, other people talk about it, because you know, they have decided that they prefer to hang on to some of them. You know, he says, you're going from preaching to meddling. You know what I mean? Don't meddle in my business. You know? Don't be talking about porn. Don't be talking about sex. Don't be talking about going out and getting laid. Don't be talking about the ladies. Don't be talking about the men. Don't be talking about the romance. Don't be talking about the money. Don't be talking about any of the stuff that is really the stuff they're talking about in this book that's driving you crazy. Don't be talking about that because you're meddling in my business and quite frankly, I've decided it's okay to do that. I can stay sober and still cheat on my wife. So just, you know, stay out of my frickin' business. Who do you think you are? Some sort of priest? You think you're my rabbi? You think you're something like that? That's the deal. But you want something... Just because it hurts your feelings doesn't mean it ain't the truth. You understand? So you got to decide somewhere along the way whether you're more worried about your feelings or you're more worried about living a life of truth and honesty. Whether you want to stay a child, you know, 
when I was a child, you know, I spoke like a child. When I was a man, I put childish things away. You got to decide whether you want to put the child, whether you want to be a man or whether you want to be one of the boys, whether you want to be a girl or you want to be one of the women. Therefore, it seems plain a life plain that few of us can quickly or easily become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. We want to settle for only as much perfection as will get us by in life. According, of course, to our various and sundry ideas of we got to get us by, what will get us by. And believe me, I know about settling. Settling. I know what it means to settle. You get to 15 years, you get to 20 years, you get to whatever it is, and you're feeling relatively okay. And you're making some money, you got a wife and kids, you know, they're patting you on the back and outbox and novice, and you basically settle. You rest on your laurels, you settle. You know, stay out of my life, I'm doing just fine. You settle. You know, that's what you settle right there. Okay? So the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is of God. And that's the deal. And so, you know, and, and you know, one of the things I do in my, and certainly I'm not, I was talking to somebody today about an interesting thing that happened to me just recently, just Friday night. I probably go to more AA meetings now than I ever went to when I was first coming up the ranks in mean, 33 years. And, and, and I, I, I probably do more service now than I've done. And, and besides the AA meetings, I go to like, like two or three Bible studies and, We've got luncheons. I mean, there's stuff. My life is just full of that stuff and church and the whole bit. And and I have a sponsor who's 57 years sober and he's a Baptist preacher. He's like 86 years old. And he hangs around. When you hang around with those guys, you hang around with another guy who's a pastor. He's a spiritual mentor of mine. I just hang around with these people. And I have to, I, 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 I find for me, I need to surround myself with people that are on the same deal and focus on the same deal for many reasons. First of all, the more you surround yourself with these people, they're almost like the guardrails on the narrow road. They're like the guardrails on the expressway. If you surround yourself with people who are going in the right direction, you tend not to get off on the exit. You tend not to get lost. But one of the reasons is that it has to do with the sixth step. Because when you hang, I always need Men in front of me, as I said, remember, as iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man, you know, I always need people in front of me that are farther down the road from me that I can hang out on, hang out with, because they're the ones that I'm going to learn from and I'm going to look at. And the way I found this thing works, and this is what ticks alcohol so often, this is what ticked me off. And I'm just going to give you a, a story of, you know, five seconds or so, fast story about something just happened to me Friday. You know, I, uh, I'm one of those guys that I sit down, I've got three years, I've got five years, I'm listening to God within 20 years, I realize he's got something I don't want, I ha- I want, and I've decided that I want to have what he's got like now. I want to know, I want to know what step I gotta do, what I gotta do to be like him at three years when he's got 30 years. Because I'm an alcoholic and I'm used to feel, I'm used to, you know how I feel good? I take a jigger of scotch and go whack. And I feel better in five seconds, you know what I mean? So I want immediate relief. I want what I want when I want it. And, you know, that's not the way the Lord works. You know, that's not the way God works, you know what I mean? The way he works is, you know, you just keep coming to meetings. In ten years, I'm going to take care of that deal. You know what I mean? I just want to see whether you're serious, you know? I, I don't want to see, I don't know whether you're serious. And I was in a, uh, I was in a, a group I go to on Friday nights called The Live Again. And it's a, it's a 12-step sort of scripture-based group. And there's a guy, I've got two guys there that are over, like one's 83 and one's 86. And they're both preachers and they go to that group and it's for alcoholics, addicts and everything like that. And one guy, my sponsor as it was, read a, a quote from the Bible, which actually had to do with the sixth step. You know, and he read a quote from the Bible that I've heard, I must, have, I must have heard or read this quote from a particular book in uh, the Bible, book called Colossians. I must have heard it hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And he read this quote from Colossians, and it, it like changed my life. You know what? You know how it hit me? It hit me like when my sponsor first said, you don't have to drink anymore if you don't want to. Is that a, 
Do you know how long it's been? Now, I'm not saying I haven't made improvement over 30. I'd like to think I make improvement over 33 years. But do you know how long it's been, really, since somebody said something and it hit me like when my sponsor first said to me, you don't have to drink anymore? That's the effect it had on me. I went right home. I printed that thing up. I studied it. I looked up different translations. I kept on looking at it. It opened up. It was all of a sudden... I saw something, and I'm talking about working this thing pretty hard. You don't find too many people working as hard as I'm working this thing pretty hard for 33 years and trying to figure this deal out and trying to grow and trying to get better. And all of a sudden, this 86-year-old guy reads this quote from Colossians, and all of a sudden, it hits me. It's like, my mind like expands. I said, holy, whoa, whoa, that's how you do it. I've been trying to figure out how to do this thing. That's how you do it. You know, can you explain that? I can't explain why when my sponsor said, you know, you don't have to drink the way, you, you don't have to drink anymore if you don't. I can't explain how after 33 years of seeing this thing, I was allowed to see this deal. All I can tell you is that I, I know that if this happened to me, if these things happen to me, that I'm not unique, that that's the way it happens to other people. And that if you hang in there and you persevere and you go farther and you become one of the men instead of the boys and you try to keep on hitting this thing on all your defects, surrender more to him, you understand, and work on these other things, you're going to be separated out and you're going to be given the opportunity to grow in his image and likeness. You're going to be wanting to become one of these guys. It's going to be an incredible experience for you. I mean, drinking isn't even going to be the question. We're not even talking about the drinking. You don't even have to worry about the drinking. They even talk. Drinking's going to take care of itself. You're going to be set in that place they talk about where you're immune from that deal. You're you're in a neutral place. Okay, somebody that's say you're in a neutral place. You're going to be going to a different deal. You know, you're going to be you're going to be in Tiger Woods land. You know what I mean? You ain't going to be playing with the hackers. The ball's not going off into the woods. You know what I mean? You're not going to slice it or anything like that. You're going to be you're going to be playing. You're going to be doing professional land. You're going to be one of the professionals. You know. That's where you want to be at. That's where the joy of living is. That's where you're not, that's, you know, you ain't going to be saying things. Believe me, when you get to that place, trust me, you will never be saying things like, I'm hanging in there. You won't be doing I'm hanging in there. Listen, do eight, let the 80% of alcoholics and honest tell you they're hanging in there one day at a time. Let them tell you that. You're going to be experiencing much of heaven. You're going to be rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence of which you would not even dream. Seed of your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and the humble others. Remarkable things are going to happen to you. You just got to decide which, which deal you want to be. Whether you want to be one of the men or you want to be one of the boys. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.